Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. Practical Guitarist Podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices a practical guitarist will love. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Practical Guitarist or on Twitter as at Guitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitaristpodcast.threadless.com. And donate to us via Patreon, available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Hi, Jim. Hi, David. I gave him the do-over complete with the uh, the number one salute. Well, thank you. I, hey, I do what I can, Jim. I do what I can. You need to, you need to go get yourself a, sh- a crappy white can. <laughs> Dude, life has just been kicking me in the teeth lately. This last yeah. week has been Swift literally kicking. insane. So I got back from Texas. Um, actually, the flight wasn't too crazy. It was delayed by an hour, I think, or 20 minutes or something. It was it was delayed slightly. Right. Flew in in the rain. Um, kind of a crappy flight. Got home. Immediately started having stomach problems. Um and it's just been it's been a, a ride over the weekend. Like now I'm just catching up. And actually, you know, we were supposed to podcast on Sunday and I was just too tied up just catching up with things. Yeah. Well, so usually Sunday would be Game of Thrones nights for anybody else. But for me, it's tonight because all my friends come over and we watch it as a group. And mm. Now you know that because I accidentally put you in that phone. That text yeah, Jim has this habit of uh, sending me random text messages that are that not are for me. <laughs> He's the other David in my phone book. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good thing we're not dating, and I'm cheating on you or something. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Good Game of Thrones. No spoilers. No spoilers. But it was good. Everybody dies. Everybody died. Everybody died. The show was already ended. That was it. Yeah, they, they didn't even go the full season. Like, it was oh, pretty surprising. Yeah, it was surprising. Yeah. Even the dragons, man. Remember like, what happened to Cersei? That was terrible, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Those poor dragons. Mm. But at least the one dragon. Uh, anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, I, people, believe me, we, we gave you those points. All right, so I got one thing, one note for tonight. But I think we can, I think that I've, got, I've got two now. What are you, Microsoft? He got yeah, one note. One note. So uh, first thing that I wanted to say is there's there's a um, your first guitar. So I, I want to talk to it more about more about the money side of the first guitar. And everybody, every time somebody says I'm going out to buy my first guitar, people are like, 
They always want to bring you into their world and they want you to buy what they would buy as a first guitar, which means it would go inexpensive or they would go used and it would go with, you know, all sure. what their hero had. And typically they live vicariously through you because it's the internet and that's what they do. Sure. So um, the question is, what's wrong with getting a, an expensive first guitar? So I was out, what brought this up is I was out the other night and this guy pulls out this guitar that was just, it was like, you know, um, uh, like somebody had pulled the sword from um, it, the uh, rock, you know, the sword from the stone. And uh, it was like, ah, the light comes off and everything is beaming. And they're going around and it's like, oh, this is, a, this is awesome. And it's like a, a, a $4,000 guitar and the guy can barely hold down three chords. Mm -hmm. and and people are sitting there going oh man this guy you know he shouldn't be playing a guitar like that he doesn't deserve playing a guitar like that stuff like that um i remember once a guy came up to me at the end of a show i don't know if i ever told you this story guy came up to me at the end of a show and he says to me man that was you know that's a nice guitar and i said thanks and he goes but you shouldn't be playing open chords on that and he was talking about my les paul <laughs> for real what <laughs> yeah for real for is real it, like are you serious so the price of the guitar now dictates whether or not you can play an open chord on it, and it, and it what I, an ass hat i probably would have knocked his teeth into his throat like i, I just thanked him for you know the compliment yeah i was like just, yeah, why don't you take this guitar and shove it up your ass you have a three thousand dollar stick in your ass yeah, exactly. It was seriously just like, what the heck are you talking about? So anyway, I I um I kindly thanked him. But the thing is, so the other day, like I said, I, I see this guy gets up on the stage with this really expensive guitar. It was really nice. And um, you know, I couldn't help but think, wow, you spent a lot of money to to kind of do. but then again, if you got that kind of expendable cash, why not? You know, I understand it if you're buying it for your kid, but, um, and it's a, you know, a really young kid, they don't, you know, you don't know if they're going to keep going or whatever, but. Sure, sure. I, you know, I'm like totally in the same realm of thinking that you are. How many people start guitar and then like fail? Then I'm not saying that to like, just like discourage people, but I'm just like, the same thing to do is to not spend over $500 for the first guitar and amp. Right. 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 Um, and there's lots of people who are basically insane who will yeah. go and they will say, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life, you know, yeah. and then drop three G's. Um, granted, you know, I know some people that like that level of commitment would, uh, inspire them to play more. Um, but, I just think it's, I think it's a silly proposition. Uh, and yes, we all have had one of those experiences where like you're in a club and you see some guy doing, you know, some insane thing with his, uh, his $6,000, $6,000, you know, um, uh, you know, like nags. Right. Right. Um, and you're going, why do you have a $6,000 nags? Right. Well, but, but at the same time, so those are the same people that um, are collectors. Right. 
and they exist and that's something we have to deal with unfortunately um that not i don't i don't want to pretend like that's unfortunate but like there are people that collect and that's okay um maybe they don't play at all i mean leo fender didn't play either so yeah perspective I don't remember what he was doing. Yeah, he designed, you know, popular electric guitars and Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's the only note I took this week, but Oh no, we got plenty to talk about with that. I'm I'm not quite done yet. Jim, what am I doing right now? Right? Yeah. It's rattling. Yeah. This is David, and if you can't tell, um in the in the last conversation, I have been struggling to breathe the entire time. My wife's been scrambling around my condo looking for my inhaler. So I'm going to hit this real quick, and then uh, then I'm going to be good, and I'm going to go like nuts on this topic. In three, two, one. And he's got to hold it in for a second. <sighs> yeah, it's like weed. you got to like hold it in. And it's all I have never smoked weed. Neither have I, but I know people who have. Um, I know many people who have. Um, anyway, all right, so here's the deal. Like – if you want to go out and you want to waste a bunch of money on a hobby, which, which is what guitar is for most people. Um, that's fine. Um, there's another podcast that, you know, you may be familiar with. If you listen to our show, it's 60 cycle hum. Of course, we've talked about them on the show before. Um, I went to gear fest with Ryan and, and I'm going to name drop as much as I can. Um, but anyway, they talked about on a recent episode, um, what it means to, I maybe it wasn't an episode. Maybe it was in their group. They were talking about what it means to be a guitar player. And that means like, Brian's like, I have, you know, 20 guitars. That doesn't make me a guitar player. And I, I kind of disagreed with his reaction to that, which was like, well, I own them. So that ma- therefore that makes me a guitarist. No, not really. I mean, um, I think a lot of people, so, and then of course there's obviously the different subsets of being a guitarist too. Like they're the hobbyist and then there's the professional and then right. there's the weekend warrior and all these yeah. different things that, you know, exist within that spectrum. But my point with, uh, with what I was saying about Ryan is like, just because you own it doesn't mean you partake in it in the same way. And so there's a lot of guitar players who, um, there's a lot. I I'm, I'm looking over my shoulder because my cat is doing literally something insane right now. Yeah. And, um, there are people crawling around in my living room underneath tables and everything else. Um, so the, <laughs> the whole idea that just because you own something, you are something it, it, that's, that I find that crazy. Um, because a guitarist isn't necessarily a guitar collector and vice versa. And so when we talk about these people taking a $3,000 less Paul and then going to a club and then not knowing how to play more than four chords, like fine, that's fine. You know, don't, I, I wouldn't sit there and say, you know, we should thumb our nose at these people because everybody's, uh, everybody's out there at all skill levels. Yeah. Um, but you're not going to see those people at like the County fair playing the festival stage. You know what I mean? Like those guys are going to be relegated to going to the bar and maybe do it a jam night or something and, you know, fumbling your right. way through it. And that's fine. Like if they, if they have fun doing that more power to them, um, you know, I know that there are people out there. They'd be like, that's an assault on my ears and I can't handle it. And like, I get it. We've all been there though. I mean, we all went through that stage, however quickly that may have been for each of us um, where we just didn't know how to play very well. But what, what I take issue is with the guy that came up to you at that show. And it was like, Oh, you shouldn't play open chords on a Les Paul. 
you know, a $3,000 less wall. Dude, what the hell are you on? Like the, 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 the you know, the, the price of the instrument has nothing to do with the quality of player behind it. And no technique says that I'm a better player than anyone else because let's face it, like I was learning to tap before I learned to play like real lead lines. I mean, for, for most people, you can master a skill, one very specific facet of it and look really good doing that, but suck at everything else. It doesn't make you a good guitar player. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like you're not well-rounded, so you can do that one thing really well. Um, I think we all struggle with something specific on guitar. Oh like, yeah, uh, I, there there are a lot of specific things that I struggle with. Um, so I'm gonna sh- I, I'm I was trying to think back so I could share a story about you know a similar story about somebody um, showing up to a gig that was supposed to be. Actually, I have the I have the reverse, and I have never told this story on this show. So I think I think this is worth discussing. So I went to an open mic night mm-hmm. six years ago, seven years ago, right. and. Um, I was invited. I'm not going to say the name of the other party. I was invited to go. Uh, I really wanted to go. I, cause I hadn't played out in quite a while. And I was like, yeah, I really want to get in front of some people. So it was a, it was a blues jam and um, it was in a wealthy neighborhood in uh, you know, the Chicago area. Um, so I drove up there and I met my buddy and then he says, Oh, I got another friend that's going to go with us. Now um, I meet these guys at a restaurant and his friend's going to, play with me like that's like oh well no i'm coming along because i was supposed to play with you and i'm like well i hadn't anticipated having to play with somebody else number one um other than you know just the random guys at the jam night or whatever so i had no idea what this person's skill level was and there was a big conversation about i like this band and so you know i and i basically said i I don't like i'm not a big fan of that music at all in fact and um, if, if anybody's wondering, it's Eric Clapton. Um, and it, they were, he was like, oh, we're going to play Key to the Highway. And I'm like, oh, God, like, that's the one song I don't want to play, like, really bad. But I just sucked it up. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to make my buddy look bad and, like, tell this guy off or whatever. And I went and I played. And I had the worst experience playing live I've ever had. The guy was, the guy I was playing with had a lot of, um, I want to say like, I just want to say issues. He has some anger problems and he was getting basically belligerent with the people that ran the show. Um, and like almost pulled off a Soldano head off of a, off of an amplifier because the cable was too short Jeez. and then proceeded to, and proceeded to berate them for it. Um, wow. And like there, I, it was just a whole thing. So the, they, the guys could not get us out of there fast enough. But what was funny about it, this guy has a recording career, right? Like, so he recorded some, uh, with some, some well-known acts in the sixties and seventies, um, as a, as a blues player. Right. And he shows up to this club and he's got like one of those late 90 or actually mid nineties Epiphone Strat copies, yep. right? With a Floyd Rose or a Kaler on it, I don't remember which. And uh, didn't even have his own tutor, like claimed that he had borrowed the guitar from a girlfriend, which I'm skeptical that that was even a possibility um, given the guy's behavior. Um, And uh, just, you know, proceeded to get up there and like, I was thinking, oh, this guy will be good because like, you know, he had a recorder. He was abysmal. He was horrible. 
Um, wow. So it just goes to show you, like, gear doesn't really have anything to do with it in this case, but, like, you just never know what you're getting into, even when you're playing with somebody that has, quote-unquote, had a recording career. And I yeah. saw my buddy pulled out two records that had his name attached to them. And I looked at the records, and I was like, oh. I was like, all right. And then we went, and I was like, oh, what? <laughs> I, I was just- so what did he re- what did he record like fart sounds? Um, he was playing <laughs> guitar on those records, but I oh come on! I think so. I yes. Um, there was probably some mental illness involved with this individual. Right. I don't know what level of mental illness he was. Definitely obsessive compulsive. That I can say one hundred percent because uh, I was told that like. I had to take special care of wiping things down and so forth. Well, um, wouldn't really be well, do well in that environment. It's not oh, good. certainly not. And he was being pushed to perform by, by uh, our mutual friend. It was like, uh, it was just a whole thing. And um, it was, I'm not really certain that he was the person he was saying he was, you know what I mean? Like yeah. he had the same name, right, but, but was he really that person. Um, that's that's where I'm kind of like I'm still kind of iffy on that whole situation because I, I I have a feeling that it was uh, there was some misleading things going on in that that escapade. But nevertheless, um, my point is that you know you can't judge a book by its cover, whether it's a, a three thousand dollar guitar or a professional studio player. Like you never really know what you're getting yourself into. And of yeah. course, I had another episode where I went and played with uh, Marshall Nelson, who actually recently passed. Um, I found out about that a couple weeks ago. Um, He was a piano player for, um, I want to say he was the band leader for like Cool in the Gang or somebody like that. Um, And I don't remember exactly which act, but it was like from that period. Um, Big band. Anyway, so he he has been doing all these gigs and dates all over. And I I guess... uh, I don't know how he died, but he died like very suddenly. Um, and, and I was really shocked to see it cause I found out about 10 days later, but yeah, I mean like I went into that situation not knowing what to expect either and ended up, um, you know, connecting with somebody that I would have never met otherwise. So, um, right. but anyway, yeah, I, I don't, I mean, you, you said you only had the one thing for notes for this episode. I got a couple things we can talk about. So like, well, well yeah, before you go forward. So there was this guy that showed up, um, an open mic a couple weeks ago, and uh, he he comes in. Nobody thinks anything of it. We didn't really see him bring a guitar, and uh, so he's like, you know, it's his turn. They call out his name. It's yeah. up there, and he borrows a he borrows a tuner as well because he forgot his. He gets tuned up, and then he just rips it. He just, oh yeah, and just. Yeah, yeah. Has, you always run into those guys. Like, yeah, they, has, they're the ones that make you feel bad because you're like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, he has this unassuming guitar. It's like nothing special. It's just like, and then he gets up there, and you're like, ah, cute. <laughs> yeah, like, how did you I get so good? <laughs> I was the winger. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and you've, I think we've all probably, if you, if you frequent open mics or whatever, you've always run it. You, you've all run into that where there's like the one guy in the corner who like right. nobody really knows him very well. And he hasn't yeah. been there before. Yeah. Um, you know, and he's had a couple beers and he usually looks like he's, you know, one step away from being homeless. And then he gets on stage and he just rips and you're like, 
where did this guy come from? Like, how does nobody know who this dude is? Um, exactly. That's what we were thinking. How the heck did we not know who that was? Yeah. And uh, I don't know, dude. Like, there's there's little guitar players all over the place that could just, just rip. Um, and some of them, like – there's Philip Sacy, right? So he's he's had a career that's pretty exceptional. I mean, he played with Melissa Etheridge for a while. Um, yeah. He was with um, who's the the guy that used to play the the uh, lap? Well, he used to turn guitars like they were lap steel. Um, oh, oh, um, oh, he did Angel Eyes and the Jeff Healy. Jeff Healy, yeah. All right, so he used to play with Jeff Healy as well, and that's how he cut his teeth, right? Like he he got yeah. the Jeff Healy gig, and um, he's a young guy, you know, he's, well, he's probably in his mid forties now, but at the time he was a young guy and nobody knew who he was. And I mean, this dude was like ripping and, and, and still, even though he's had those, those very like illustrious gigs, he's just like a, a like a local guy in, in, I think Vancouver now, you know, like not a whole lot of people know who he is and he doesn't tour very often. Like, I don't think he's ever toured, like my neck of the woods or I'd gone to see him. Um, but it, you know, there are those guys out there that have had like these major careers that nobody knows who they are, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, we have a lot of people that, that live in this area that are under the radar. Um, and it's like, you don't know, you don't know them because you just don't recognize their names because they're, they're bylines. You know? Well, we were, we were talking earlier today about Lee McKinney, right? Yeah. So you don't know who Lee McKinney is, and that's fine. But I, I so I can explain it, right? So Lee McKinney is the uh, the the uh, guitar player for a band called um, uh, Born of Osiris, right? right? Jet Band, and um, they're pretty popular, like I in that scene. And I had no idea that that Lee McKinney lives up in Palatine, like he lives really really close to me, um, probably you know a thirty minute drive from my house. Um, and that whole band is based out of there. Like I had no idea. So it just goes to show you, like you got people under your nose too, that, that oftentimes yeah. you just don't even know they're there. Um, he's a Kiesel artist too, which is what sparked that discussion. So yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, his, his record's great, by the way, he's got a new record out that, uh, Dan Kish recommended me and it's, it's a short record. A lot of their records tend to be fairly short, like born of Osiris and Lee McKinney put out right. kind of shorter albums and the one that he's put out now, I forget what the name of it is all hand, but like if you go download it on iTunes or, or, you know, whatever service you, you use, um, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. It's, I don't think it's as good as, um, Mrs. Smith's record, but it's like in a very similar, not stereotypical gent kind of music vein. I mean, there's a song on there where he's, he's got a ripping sax part. That's yeah. like, I mean, it's, it's really good. And it fits like the motif very well. Um, and they tend to be more on like the jazz side of gent, at least in my mind, um, than some of the other artists I've heard that are in the same like vein, um, which is cool. Cause I'm, I'm big into jazz. So, um, but yeah, I, I mean, if you haven't heard him, check it out. It's, it's yeah. definitely worth a listen. Um, what else? Oh, yeah, so we're I'm switching DAWs, and that may or may not affect the production of the show. You guys will probably notice the next couple episodes are going to be, um, they're going to have some minor changes in EQ and compression, and it'll be it'll be noticeable. Um, Won't be but I'm the last one. 
I think we talked about uh, me selling my iMac, which I did. Um, I got, which is crazy. This is, this is, you know, we were talking about the Mac versus PC thing. This yeah. is what's crazy about Macs. I sold a 2015 iMac with a 256 gigabyte solid state drive, tiny drive for $1,200. Oh, so you're even. I mean, no, but, but we're going to get there. So just think about this in the PC world. If you have a, if you have a computer that's like three years old or four years old and you go to eBay it, you're going to be lucky if you make 200 bucks, yeah. you know, or 300 bucks, because at that point your hardware is completely outdated. But for whatever reason, people will buy 10 year old Macs and not that an eye. Um, I had a lot of activity on that listing too, which is pretty insane to me. Um, a buddy of mine is selling his, uh, he's got a 2013 uh, MacBook 15 inch and he's selling it for like $500. 2013. I mean, that's basically garbage. Yeah. I wouldn't <laughs> and I somebody, but people are buying garbage. So more power to them. You know, if you're, if you got a use for an old Mac like that, like, that's exceptional. Go yeah. for it. Um, my, my own personal thing on that is like, I wouldn't buy a computer that's more than three years old ever. Right. Um, no, what, no matter the application, it just doesn't make sense. So what I ended up doing was I, uh, I, I made the leap into the windows world. I bought a, um, a computer from, uh, play BLD or whatever, which is NZXT is the, the, uh, hardware company that, that like puts together gaming equipment. Um, they have a, they have a, a building service. So I actually had them spec me a computer and I, I bought it. Uh, it's like right around 1800, I think. Um, it was, it was right at two grand with shipping and all that. But I mean, it's liquid cooled. I've got the top end chips, you know, core I not or core I seven. I didn't get the I nine core I seven, nine series, like all the new stuff you'd want in a computer. Um, for those of you guys that are not involved in tech and, um, it should be fine, like for what I'm doing. So the, the, this this led to a bigger problem, though, right? I can't use Logic anymore because I'm not on a Mac. So I started evaluating um, DOS, like almost immediately, like because I know I got the podcast coming up, and I'm like, right. what am I going to use? So um, Jeff Yeziadeki, listener of the show, friend of mine, um, guru over at uh, Good Time Music, he yeah. he starts pointing out like different DAWs that I could check out. And I think he did so in the group. Um, and I, and I checked out traction. I downloaded, um, traction waveform 10, right. Which is their, that's the current version of their pay software. You can get, I think if you go two versions back, you can get it for free. Um, that's T seven or whatever, which is basically traction version seven. Um, and I've been really happy with it. It's a different workflow and it's, it's requiring me to relearn a lot of stuff. Um, I don't like the default plugins in it. They're kind of crappy. Like I know I'm going to have to have a compressor and an EQ and a couple other things that I'm going to have to bring my own. But in terms of just the overall workflow and the logic of how it's laid out, it works really well. And actually it kind of solves some of the problems I had with logic too. Um, there were some things in logic that, that I didn't like in terms of like system preferences and those kinds of things. So 
Um, it would be nice if Mac would get off their ass and uh, bring Logic back to the PC world because actually there was a time when when Mac when when Apple did not own Logic and uh, it was available for PCs. So yeah. that was probably ten years ago. But it would be nice to like see it come back. And I I think um, if Apple continues down the road that they are making their computers more and more expensive. Which they are getting titanically expensive over there now, oh, yeah. um, which is part of the reason why I decided to just say screw them. Um, I mean, to get the level of hardware I have in this guy, I'd have to go to an iMac Pro, um, and we're lo- you're looking at like base cost to like four thousand dollars. So it just doesn't make any sense. Um, I I think that they should be investing in creating software for other platforms now they're all doing it like all the other software companies are doing it so i it's only a matter of time before they have to bite the bullet and start creating software for other platforms interesting little aside here um if you have the amazon echo products like any of them um you can actually use apple music with the amazon echo now and guess who designed that it wasn't amazon apple did it because Apple admitted basically that their that their own home speaker, the HomePod, was too expensive, yep. and they didn't get the buy-in they expected. Yep. So that's why there's no HomePod two, folks. It hasn't happened yet because it it's not gonna happen. Yep. I think they realize they lost that race. Yep. So you know, if you don't like it, fire Tim Cook. Somebody. Yeah, um, please. I I honestly don't think that guy's good for the company. I think he's been he's been a joke since day one. Um, whether he was chosen by, uh, Steve jobs remains up for debate. Um, but I have a feeling that if Steve jobs chose him, there was a lot of assumptions being made about how Tim cook would handle things. And those things have largely fallen flat on their face. So, and they continue to fall flat on their face. Yeah. Um, I would not want to be holding any Apple stock in the next three to four years because I have a feeling they're going to fall from grace. So not that they're going to close or anything, but Apple is going to shrink. It's going to happen. It has to. Um, but anyway, so in terms of music technology, what does this mean? So like there are other DAWs, obviously like you'll see a lot of people on YouTube. There's a very, very active logic community. You can find tutorials for logic all day long in there. I can't find much on uh, traction. I can find Cubase, which I have a very love hate relationship with. Um, is that still free? Q, no, none of them are free. I mean, like, so you can get the trial version or the reduced functionality version for free in a lot of cases. No, there was one that um, that was in, that uh, oh, what the, uh, Cakewalk. Yeah, Cakewalk is free right now. Sonar or whatever, um, and that's because Gibson Gibson realized that they really shouldn't own that company. Yep. And so I think they've turned it into like a nonprofit org or something. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, I've used Cakewalk in the past. I've had, um, I think I had uh, Sonar or something or Home Studio 10 or like it was a long time ago. Um, and it was okay. It was a really simple, easy to use product. And though I will say this much, if you're going to use Cakewalk, like understand that you're basically using GarageBand because Right. At least when I was using it, it had the similar level of functionality to GarageBand. GarageBand is not a DAW that I would ever be using myself other than as a scratch pad or like a sketch pad. 
Right. Well, you can, yeah, you can put together decent demos like show band. Hey, uh, I mean, you that. can, but if you want to do things like humanize MIDI parts, forget it. If you want to, I mean, even if you want to do like simple editing tasks, like mixing and stuff, the plugins in GarageBand I found to be pretty crappy. Um, they're like, their guitar emulation in GarageBand is a joke. Like they well, shouldn't even be in there. Believe it um, or not, that's why I went to Cakewalk. Yeah. I, I used Cakewalk. Yeah, Cakewalk's okay. I mean, I'm not saying that they're good or bad. Cakewalk's all right. Um, I, so you have, so you have the free versions of Ableton. Like, yeah. the, you know, those things, so Ableton, Ableton is the one software that I looked at like really long and hard. And I was, I was thinking like Ableton would probably fit me because it's a professional level DAW, but it is built with the, with the idea that you're going to be doing music, produ like creating music with it. So it's right. like an instrument to itself. You can kind of play yeah. it with all the MIDI options and all that stuff um, and use it as a hardware, a hardware uh, looper and all that. Um, I, I looked long and hard at it, but it's too expensive. I cannot fathom somebody buying into that application at four ninety nine. Yeah, like I, a guy on the street being like, I want to use Ableton. I'm going to pay 500 bucks for it. You're, they are completely out of their mind. Um, I, I will say I expect about a hundred to 250 bucks, right? Like that's, that's where a home studio DAW should be at. Reaper is 69 bucks. I think for a home studio license. Um, I think it's only 200 bucks or something for a professional license. So there's a lot of guys out there using Reaper now. I, I shied away from Reaper because it looks like windows XP. I mean, I like there haven't really been much in the way of development over a Reaper in terms of the, the overall look of the application. Um, and the, it's very much laid out like a DAW from like, you know, 99. <laughs> um, and I have Adobe Audition because I, I do have Creative Cloud. Um, yeah. And I have never found Cool Edit or Audition to be great music tools. I did an entire record in Cool Edit Pro a long, long time ago. Really? Um, and I, I have to say, Cool Edit Pro was a cool piece of software. But once you start using MIDI, because back at that time, like I was super amateur. I had no idea like you could do MIDI in the, in the DAW, you know. And then I took classes in Cubase and it like changed my life. But um, just using Cool Edit, you couldn't even import MIDI back then. There was no way for you to handle MIDI in there at all. So and that got bought by Adobe and became Adobe Audition. Um, I'm sure they have made it better, but I have a feeling it's still kind of behind um, like the regular DAWs. And uh, of course, you can use uh, Pro Tools now. Pro Tools free, um, which I think is limited to like eight tracks or something. So yeah. that's that's the other thing that, that pisses me off. So like, if I buy if I buy Cubase, right? If I spend two hundred bucks and I get the Cubase artist license, right? Which I think I had that at one point. I think I dropped the cash and actually bought it, um, so I could probably use an upgrade on that. Uh, it would. I only get like thirty two channels of audio or something. And it's like, okay, so I probably won't ever need more than 32 channels of audio for like a four-piece band. But the fact is like you've limited me out of the gate. And then you have a limit on the amount of VSTs you can run. So like virtual instruments, effects. But it's just, it gets stupid like really quick. And um, the great thing about Traction, it's like 200 bucks. If you get it on sale, you can get it for cheaper than that. 
and you get you can get like an upgraded plugin set that's better than what you get stock, um, right. which is probably what I'm going to end up doing. And then, uh, I mean, that's all you're paying for your DAW, and it's pretty much unlimited at that point. And that includes a couple of a uh, couple of hardware virtual you know since i in actuality i think that their package at like 250 or 260 bucks is probably the closest you're going to get to getting logic pro on a on a windows computer because logic really for 200 or 350 bucks or whatever it is gives you everything you need for audio production and i mean you don't have to have any external plugins to make like studio quality music out of logic not even virtual instruments. I mean, they're in there. Like, they've got really good sounds. The Apple audio libraries are really good. So, yeah. <sighs> all right. That, that's, I've said my piece about DA, DAWs for tonight. Um, I, wanna, I do want to explore this more on the show as we move through this and talk about it more from the guitar perspective um, yeah. than just, like, the general technology and that kind of thing. Um, because I think this is useful knowledge for anybody who's dabbling in home recording. And I know we've got people in our group who are. Um, and I think it'd be a fun exploration of like how much you can get for how little money, because I, that, that's ultimately it. Like we spend a lot of money on guitars, right? We buy cabinets and heads and, and uh, we're buying floor processors. I mean, I'm looking at a helix next to me. It's like a $1,500 processor. Um, and you know, I've got, eight guitars or whatever it is right now. And the last thing you want to do is spend money on software to record. Right. So let's, let's make this, a, let's make this a thing. Like we'll talk about, you know, how cheaply I can get away with making a, cause I'm working on a, a project right now. Um, how cheaply I can get away with making a project. It's um, funny you mentioned that. Cause when you, when you talked about the, um, how inexpensive or how expensive or inexpensive some of your add-on stuff is and people where they're willing to put their money and not where they're willing to put their money it's, yeah it's that's because, like it's all right um you need you bought all these expensive pedals how are you gonna power them oh yeah. i'm gonna get it one spot yeah <laughs> yeah dude like you're preaching to the choir you know the one i love i just bought this three thousand dollar guitar but i'm gonna put it in a gig bag Yep, that's the other one. I was going to say, in a gig bag, it's not even padded. Yeah, like a nylon, just like a nylon raincoat. You know, <laughs> I'm going to wrap. Dude, I've seen people buy Les Pauls and stuff like that and, like, carry them out to their car with no case. Yeah. Like, they're going to drive yeah. home with no case. There's a guy who has one in the local marketplace. He wants $2,000, right? No case. For um, a Les Paul and a strap, and the Les Paul has no case. I'm like, ah, that, that seems fishy to me. You have a Les Paul, a Les Paul standard, and you don't have the case. Uh, that re reminds me of a story I heard one time. Okay, so let me give you a scenario that could actually be going on there, Jim. There was a guy who went to Guitar Center, and he wanted, um, he wanted the current Gibson hard shell case, the one that was coming with whatever year Gibsons there were. Right? And I was there. I was getting a Steinberger that day. Right. And I'm, so I'm overhearing this conversation and the guy goes to the counter and he says, I'm looking for, you know, I think it was like probably 2013 or 2014. I'm looking for a 2014 Gibson case. And they're like, um, actually, now I think about it, wasn't that back when they were stamping them with the year 
or something like the the case itself had the year stamped on it or something. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm misremembering. But anyway, he glows to me says I want the 2019 one, right? Or the 2013 one. And so they so the guy behind the counter goes, well, he's like, let me show you what we got. So he goes in the back and he comes out with a Gibson case, like an actual branded Gibson case. And the dude says, no, that's not the one I want. I want the current one. Um, so they get they they get to talking and he's like, all right, look. He's like, here's what I'm going to do. He's like, I'm going to buy a, you know, an LP standard or some, something like that or an SG, you know, so I could get the current Gibson case. And then, and then I'm going to sell the guitar on eBay like new. Right. <laughs> so he could get the case. Yeah, dude, like this actually happened. And I'm sitting there going, you're going to lose money. You moron. Like, but he obviously didn't care. Cause he was like, I want the current one, like really bad, bad enough that I'm going to do something stupid, like not have them order me the one I want. Maybe yeah, there was a deal. Yeah. Cause I don't, cause I like wasn't included in the whole conversation. Maybe there was like something where they couldn't specify on the order, which case they were going to get. Right. So, you know, it was like, we have to exhaust all the old ones before we get the new ones. And the guy was going to have wow. to wait like six, nine months or whatever. But um, yeah. I mean, he had to have at least taken a three or $400 hit to get that case like there's only and there are people out there that are like that though that are that are collectors or whatever and they have to have something very specific and they're willing to do what it takes to get it right Um, now i'm sure he bought like the cheapest les paul he could get you know (laughs) like because he knew he was just gonna auction it anyway but um dude i have seen some crazy stuff just like the guy that got into an argument with me about where um that they changed the the PRS Mira pickups. And it's like, no, they didn't. They've always been produced in the same place. And I've oh, talked yeah. to people who've confirmed this for me. They're like, yep. well, they were once made in the States. No, they weren't. <laughs> they, they they have never been made in the States. They're always made by the, the SE factory or whatever. Right, right. So, yes, the SE factory has changed location, but the spec for the pickup is still the same exactly and you know that's another thing we all know like if you've seen the philip mcknight stuff where he basically exposes why why chinese guitars like are different than american guitars because they use pop metals and stuff like that and different types of wire and all that for the pickups um then you know that even like a prs spec something and they produce something that's not to their spec that's a problem um, if you want to get, if you want to get something produced cheaply, let's say you're Fender and you got your Squire contract, right? You're going to say, well, we got this guitar. We designed this prototype, right? And it may not even have like a Fender Squire logo on it. And they take it over to Squire and they say, you know, to, to, uh, uh their factory over their court, right? And they hand them the guitar and they say, how can you make this cheaper? And they and they look it over and they go, well, we can do this, this, and this, and this will make it cheaper for you. And like Fender at that point, is just trying to hit a price point. So they're willing to make those sacrifices, which is how that happens. But in the case of somebody like PRS, who's going to sell that guitar for like two grand, they're not going to cut very many corners on pickups, no. you know, especially if they're going in a USA guitar. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like the Mira retails for a whopping 500 bucks. I mean, right. my understanding is the reason the Mira pickups are made overseas was because they didn't want to make them in-house because they would have had to get new tooling and all so i i don't know um but my my 
point with all this is like, if you're going to sit there and argue about something, at least know about it. <laughs> right, right. And nobody's saying mirror pickups suck, except for that guy. He's like, oh, they're not as good as like a custom 24 pickup. And I'm like, well, I'm like, I really can't tell much of a difference between the current customs and the USA customs. That's blasphemy. They're totally different. And I'm like, well, they're hot PAS style pickups with yeah. a little bit of upper, you know, a little bit of extra upper mid character. Like that's basically a PRS pickup in a nutshell, yeah. <laughs> you know, and they're potted. So they have better low end, <laughs> you know, it's when people want to argue about like the 3% difference between something, you just know you've lost it at that point. Like it's not even worth having a discussion with this person because they're yeah. obviously snobs. Yeah. Um, I well, and a lot of these guys are pseudo snobs. They don't even know. They don't even know. They're just reading something they see on the internet, right? That, and I'm sure that's what was going on with that dude. Like he read it on the internet, so PS, PRS mirror pickups suck because they had moved location. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. There's this, whole, there's this whole assumption right now that because um, they moved the factory. Uh, where they move, you know, where they make the guitars that all of a sudden now the guitars are lesser value. They, they've got to be worse, right? Because they moved. It's got to be the reason. So this is the kind of crap we're trying to dispel with this show, though. Yeah. Like, I mean, we don't talk about gear as much as other shows do. And there's not a good or a bad reason for that. But I think it's pretty clear our mission here is to dispel the myths that, like, you you have to have a thousand dollar guitar number one like you don't um to you know play guitar i mean back to your original concept at the beginning of this show i know people who have two guitars they have their first guitar and then they have like a nicer one that they that they acquired later right and that's all they play their first guitar is backup or in some cases it's their primary guitar I wish I could remember who, who that was. I heard about it through no guitar is safe. So uh -huh. there was a dude on there that was talking about his buddy, right? Who is a killer player that plays a Squire affinity strap yeah. with stock pickups. I can believe Right. It. Like completely stock affinity strat. And I was like, this is crap. Like there's no way. So I looked the guy up on YouTube and I, like I said, I wish I could remember what the name of the player you can go scour no guitar is safe and you'll find it somewhere in there. And I watched the video and the guy's just killing it. And I'm sitting there going, this is exactly why I do this because there are people out there that don't need a $3,000 guitar that, to do what they do. And I've, I, I've taken to using that phrase a lot, like to do what I do. I really only need this, this, and this. And it, it's really helped me like understand exactly how i should focus things now jim you're always your your musical role is always changing which is why your your set of guitars is always changing right um you know you were in a you were in a classic rock band uh yeah. cover band for a while and now you're more in a modern pop kind of cover yeah. band setting and so your guitars went from like prs's and les pauls to so you know fender strats and telecasters yeah um, and change back i mean they will again. And yeah. I, 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 I've, I'm the guy that like would search for the one guitar that you could use to do everything. Right. And I've quickly yeah. realized now that that's not really feasible. Right. Um, I, 
my wife and I have been having a discussion because I'm, I'm probably going to sell a bunch of guitars this year and I'm probably going to get at least one more Kiesel. I might get two depending on how much gear I part with. Right. So the things that are on the chopping block, and I think we talked about the Marie condo method or whatever. Um, the things that are on the, um, the chopping, uh, the chopping block for me are the red GNL, the blue GNL I have, the red Gibson SG that I have. And, um, I, the Ibanez is going like it's already listed. Um, and there's some, some other smaller things like pedals and things like that. Um, and if I part with all these, I could probably get a pair of reasonable Kiesels or I could get one really nice one, um, which is probably the route I would go because I will keep my USA S 500 for doing my Jimi Hendrix, you know, bluesy thing. And because that guitar does make me happy and it does, it does still serve a purpose in the grand scheme of what I do. Um, so I mean, I can do that because I, I sit back now and I look at the purposefulness of what I'm doing and say, okay, so I'm doing a metal thing right now. Like I don't need to have all these bluesy guitars laying around. I can get away with like one or two, you know, and then have a couple of seven strings. Um, and I, you know, I'm buying Kiesel's partially because Kiesel gives me what I want um, for, you know, a reasonable price. Uh, but there, there's no resale value to them. Like I understand that they're very like these are guitars I'm probably gonna have forever. So right. I'm just gonna chalk it up and hope hope for the best. Um, now the problem is Kiesel, like the guitars that I want, have a premium attached to them for no reason. Yeah. Um, which we can talk about that later as I get closer to ordering and start cleaning out my inventory of stuff here. But, um. Yeah, I'm a. I'm gonna keep that one kind of under wraps for now because I don't. <laughs> I'm not really sure what I'm getting yet for one. For one, and like I don't want to, you know, make people's heads spin for like six weeks while I go back and forth with different models and things. But yeah. um, what I'm leaning towards is is an interesting choice to say the least. But um, I don't know, man. Like I see your revolving cast of guitars and. I would be lying I said if I said there wasn't a little bit of jealousy there because like you do always have like interesting new stuff. Yeah. I'm not but but again, like what you've got right now hanging right behind you, he's there's two there's two strats. Yeah. There's a telecaster and there's there's, yeah. there's a uh, PRS uh, SC with a Floyd on. Yeah. Like I wouldn't play any of those to be honest with you. It's just not my my bag. Like I'm not that you would not that you even care, but I do. I do like the fact that you can just like part with things and like get something new and have no remorse about what you've done and no, you don't worry no. about it. Like no, it's not no. a big deal. I I worry about it. I lament it. Like part of the reason why my SG is not on reverb right now is because I know that at some point in my life I'm going to look back and be like, nah, I should probably kept that SG. Um, but the funny thing is, like the SG is like the least comfortable guitar I have for me because of where the strap pin is at. Yeah. So if, if you know, Gibson, like I, I, I love the fact that you've kept the guitar period correct, but we've talked about Gibson making small modifications that would actually improve their guitars. Find a better place for that damn strap pin. Everybody complains about it. Find a better place for it. Uh, 
if nothing else, like there's got to be somewhere else you can put that. Um, and I've also noticed like some of the headless guitars and stuff where they, where their strap pins are at is weird too. Mm-hmm. Not that like SG weird, right. But similar in that they are higher up on the tail end of the guitar, like where the bridge pin is at, like the, the strap pin that goes down by the bridge. Yep. Some of them are like way down by the volume controls. Yeah. And others are like way up by where the forearm contour is. And you, and I just kind of sit there and I scratch my head and I go, this is totally uncomfortable. Like, why would you do this? I, <laughs> I, I never, I, I never understood that. So, but you know, I mean, it's like you, you try to figure out, okay, why would you put, you know, the strap button here or not put it here or whatever. And sometimes it's, it's because when they originally designed the guitar, for whatever reason, they thought that the stress point where you got to hang it around a neck. Oh yeah. No. And, and on the SG, and the that's absolutely why they did it. Yeah. Um, and of course they say, oh, well you can't put it in the upper horn, which right. is partially true. It would be difficult for them to remain to maintain a decent quality control thing. Right, right. Putting the, because they're going to crack guitars. It's going to happen. Um, and I know people who've done that, but yeah. like, I'm not going to do it because if I, you know, if I crack that guitar or if I go to sell it, then there's a hole up there for the player that wants to be like all classic and vintage with it. That's right. And guess what? People yeah. aren't gonna like that, and then right. all of a sudden, you've knocked three hundred dollars off of a guitar that you knocked a third of the price off of that. Yeah, yeah, dude. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's why I'm not a big fan of like doing crazy extreme modifications to expensive instruments. And I know people who who have done psycho stuff, like put you know floyd's on a les paul or you know not not like a factory one or an frx but like an actual floyd rose where they had the route and everything those guys exist and they do crazy stuff and then what happens is like the mortgage they're, they're behind on their mortgage and then they have to sell a guitar and it's like they, there's no way they're ever going to get their money back you know um they're not even going to get what the guitar is worth at that point so. exactly and it's a, it's a tough, um, you know, it's a tough thing. We've talked about that where sometimes people are like, look, what the, look at all the money I put into this guitar. It's worth so much more now. And then sometimes it's worth less. I'm literally rolling my eyes. That's the audio equivalent of rolling my eyes right there. Yep, yep. Eye rolls. <sighs> I don't know how many people – I know I know listeners of the show – who have sent me messages being like, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to sell this guitar and it's going to be worth so much more. Yep. Where I'm like, have you listened to our show? Like, have you ever listened to our show? Exactly. Do you realize the amount of crap that Jim, that Jim and I have bought and sold just in the time that we've been doing this show? Like, probably more than, and I'm not saying that there, believe me, there are definitely people in this group that buy and sell more than we do. But I will tell you this much. Yeah. If you're not doing more, if you do more buying and selling than Jim and I, you probably already know if you modify that thing, you're not getting your money back. Exactly. You're going to break even on, on just the original cost of the guitars. Like even, even something simple, like I take a guitar and I put different pickups in it and then I go to sell it and I say, this has got these custom like super pickups. 
first off, it's going to make the guitar harder to sell because yeah. you have to find somebody who's into those pickups. Yeah. <laughs> Bless me, Bless or I have sinned. Um, and then you also have to find someone that is, you know, into the guitar. So, like, now you've narrowed your playing field. Then what happens is they're going to go, can I have the original pickups too? You know, like, you just enter into this whole world of, no, don't do it. Um, exactly. Just, if you're going to mod a guitar right before you sell it, don't bother. Don't turn polish either, because that's how you end up selling it, right? So, I've done that, where I bought a, I bought a guitar, and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to mod it to be, like, what I want, and then I'll, and then I'll keep it, you know? And then, like, other guitar comes along, and you're like, I don't really want that one. I never really bonded with it. And I put all this money into the mods. And then all of a sudden. And then you just eat it. Because you're like, yeah. what can I do? I had a guitar I put, I ain't even going to lie. I had an American Standard Strat I bought for 400 bucks, right? It was a 99. I bought yeah. off a coworker. And I had it about two months. Uh, I I did like the guitar in the beginning. So I said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to have pickups put in it because the pickups that are in it are garbage. So I went and I got a set of noiseless pickups from Seymour Duncan, uh, a match set. Uh, yeah. and I can't recall exactly what was in the set, but, um, they were decent pickups and that ended up costing me with install about 300 bucks. So I, I had the pickups in the guitar for about four months and then I ran into a PV Wolfgang special uh -huh. uh, that just slayed one of the best playing guitars I've ever had. And I was like, I got to trade that Strat off to get this. And I did. And, and I, I, I think I sold the Strat for 500 bucks. Even though I, I paid 400 plus the $300 for the pickups. Wow. So I took a bath. I, I took a $300 hit. It was oh, pretty shit. ugly. It was pretty ugly. Um, so that's, you don't get yourself into the, the same shenanigans situations that I have. Like everybody's done it at some point. Yeah. Um, learn from the mistakes of others. I can't stress this enough. Just because you modify it doesn't mean you increase its value. In fact, the only thing I can think of in guitar value that you would actually increase something is if you have a jazz master, a Jagstang, Jaguar, and you put a mastery on it. That's the only, because those guitars, the, the bridges are garbage. Um, so if you put it, if you put something that fixes all the garbage, uh, it'll be worth more in that case. But that's the only time that you're going to get anything out of an upgrade. You're not going to get more than the parts you put in it, though. And that's what, that's what I want to stress to people. Just because you put $150 mastery on it doesn't mean the guitar is worth $150 more. It means the guitar is worth $75 more. So you've lost your upgrade money. Unless yeah. you bought the mastery used or something. So just just keep that in mind. Don't don't do dumb stuff. We we try not to do dumb stuff. We try to warn you. We don't want you to do dumb stuff. Yeah, no. Yeah. So you never know. You never know how it's gonna work out. All I know is this. Um uh, you, you 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 have to buy you have to buy a guitar that fits your need. It's a tool. It is just that. It's sure wood metal, and it doesn't it doesn't have a soul. I mean, we want to believe all these things about our guitars, but it's the truth of the matter is it, that it just is what it is. It's we apply our own stuff to guitars. We apply our own values. Nostalgia. Absolutely. That is the whole point of nostalgia. 
Like the object that you're nostalgic about yep. doesn't have anything special to it. It's the, your nostalgia that you apply to it that makes it special in your mind. Right. And I, I am guilty of this. I have the first real guitar I ever owned. I still have it. And I don't play it. It's not a great guitar. Uh, it once was. Um, I wore it out pretty much. Um, and it's been in various states of disrepair over the years. But the point is, like, I am nostalgic about that guitar. I could probably sell it right now for about 700 bucks. Right. to be honest with you. But I've, I'm attached to it. I'm not, I'm not going to sell it. That was the guitar I used in the one band that I've been in, you know, over the years that, like, did anything. So, um, I do I feel embarrassed and stupid about it? Hell yeah, I do. Not embarrassed, but but stupid about it. Like I've got this seven hundred dollars object, I do nothing with, but I'm attached to it. I'm not going to sell it. Like I know at some point if I do sell it, like I'm going to kick myself in in the teeth later in life, and I'm like, you know, I really wish I could have given that to my kids because then they would at least know like their dad did something at some point. <laughs> And that's really, in all reality, that's what you've got. I mean, what is there left to be able to pass on? Yeah, dude, like, um, you've this got a couple guitars you put up for your children. You have a couple guitars you bought for your children. Yep. Um, I have some situations like that, too. Um, and I kind of feel like that's really the aim is, like, if it's if it's not emotionally significant, but if it's, like, um spiritually significant in other words like it was a major part of you know a portion of your life or whatever right. um that might be worth keeping around to give to your kids to say you know hey this is what i had when i did this right. um fortunately i don't have many of those moments because i'm already starting to get old yes i know i'm 34 that's not that old um but oh, i feel like right. my ability to be involved in music at a professional level is basically gone at this point it's not that i can't play anymore I, i'm playing better now than i ever have um frankly but i just feel like i'm not going to wake up tomorrow and be in some band with a number one record you know it's never going to happen right i just that ship has sailed and so now i'm just having fun with music just because right and just because that ship sailed doesn't mean that i don't have um dreams as uh molly hatchet put it <laughs> You know, I, I still have dreams, but there'll be dreams I'll never see. The, the fact is that there are some things I still want to be able to do. Um, now, I, I want to move to a gear-related thing before we shut down this evening. Oh, we ain't done yet anyway, so go ahead. And, uh, well, I don't know how close we are to the end because I, I lack a, an ability to tra keep track of time. But uh, Yeah, so, it's, we, got a, we got a good half hour, I think. I am, I am not. And you know that I am not a, uh, what do you call offset guy. I'm just not yeah. into offset guitars. But I got to tell you, the, the 66 has a body style that I'm interested in. 66? So the 66, the Fender 66 is a, um, is a, oh. it's a jazz bass body shrunk down to guitar size. Oh, that thing's ugly. And then a strap neck up. Oh, neck yeah, up. I saw this the other day. Yeah. Oh God! What were they thinking? I don't. How know, dare you like an alternate reality guitar? I know. I, I How dare you, Jim? Shit to anybody. How <laughs> dare you? 
You're not allowed to like anything alternate reality. This is ridiculous. I know. Nothing about it is appealing, and, and yet everything about it is appealing. No. So here's the deal, right? Like, that body, because I have a jazz bass, right? That body is huge, right, on a jazz bass. Like, yeah, one it, of I've the biggest it. guitar bodies I've ever played with. This is this is shrunk down, yep. but it makes the neck look really, really funny. It does. Like if you look at it, the neck looks like it's like six feet wide. It does. It, um, it makes the neck look like it's hugely wide. And of course they got the 70s head stacks. It's got the huge head stacks. A couple of things I can say about this. It's gonna be really comfortable. Right? This guitar will be extremely yep. comfortable. Yep. Um because those that's what I, I my my personal belief is the reason the offsets are popular is because number one uh the hero worship for uh Kurt Cobain number two uh well that you know that's Kurt Cobain Sonic Youth there's a bunch of bands that like we're yeah. kind of known for playing uh offsets but um that's a big part of it but I think number two is the comfort factor um and those guitars were readily available for cheap so like if you wanted a good old guitar you could go get a jazz master in a pawn shop you know 10 yeah. years ago for a couple hundred bucks yeah. now you know now no. now you're looking at like three to five grand which is just Ridiculous. insane to me because a lot of these guitars like the the mustang that was a student guitar yeah and like no disrespect to people who like mustangs but that guitar was never supposed to be a guitar that was going to hang with strats and tellies. Right. Like it was just not designed that way. Um, and I know there are people that have used it over the years to great effect, but I mean, like I still kind of are on the side of, I want something that, you know, was intentionally designed to do what it does. And right. it's not, I'm not, I'm not exploiting. And that's not the yeah. yeah. Um, this thing. So let me talk about what I think they got right here. Um, I think the pick guard looks cool. Yep. I think the body should have been bigger. That's one thing he got wrong. I, I think um, they should have made it a little bigger. I think they were afraid of what, you know, the size, because jazz bass, like you said, is huge. Yeah, but I think I think I would accept it. You know what I mean? Like, I would accept yeah. it. because, And they should have gone small headstock. Like, that would have made the neck look a little less ridiculously gigantic. Oh, I think so. Um, it wouldn't look so lopsided. I think small headstock would probably have been a big a big plus for this. Um, it looks like there's been some contouring changes going on in the the um, and then maybe just I'm not looking at my jazz bass right now. Um, there's some contouring issues with the the cutaways um, that are like slightly different. Yeah, and minor issue things they got right though, like uh, control layout. Okay, yep. I don't know if I like the five-way selector. Um, Where it is. Two telly neck pickups, like for real. Um, yep. I, I don't know if I – I mean, I would have just done a strat pickup in the center. Yeah, And maybe, that's what they did with the deluxe. I don't maybe know a special chrome cover or something. Yep. Um, I, I, they put the right bridge on it, which that's, that's a plus. Um, I know people love those jazz master bridges and stuff, but I, I think you're all absolutely crazy. Um, I don't know. I, I like, there's some things they got right about this. There's some things they got wrong. You know, the funny part is if I really wanted this, do you know where I would go? I'd go buy a Janelle Doheny instead. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. This is this seems to me like the kind of guitar you buy because it's it's um, you know it's a one year one time one one off thing, and you keep it. I don't know that these are going to be like a one year thing. I don't know. Because uh, they changed. So originally they were a custom shop thing, but that was, um, they had a different name for them, but now they became alternate reality. So right. now they're a production model, which yeah. makes me wonder if these are going to be permanent hangarounds. Like I they're going to, you know, they'll make them for three or four years and they'll discontinue and move on to something else. I think if I see a, a Daphne blue one, it would be hard, tough for me not to walk out with it. And gross, man. We'll gross. see. It'll it'll hang nicely with those other guitars you have that I wouldn't play. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and I would play it or not play it pretty well. I mean, right now what I'm in the immediate um, search of is just um, I'm either going to get another like inexpensive Squire or um, or get another expensive Squire, or I mean not Squire. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I think I you meant that. I think you meant that. Inexpensive telly. He was a USA Squire. Squire, or a um, or an inexpensive, I guess, of the um, no, Mexican, or um, you know, a really expensive one. Yeah, yeah. Just depends. So, I don't know, and and I'm I'm kind of having a small conniption panic attack right now because uh -huh. my outlook is open in the background, and I saw a chain of emails that I missed today. It's probably going to have me in the hot seat tomorrow. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, wait, I forgot about that. <laughs> that could be a problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, you know, and that, so the offset thing, like the guys who are really into offsets, I guess we can talk about this because we're, because we're looking at an offset right now. The yes. guys who are really into offsets, would they be, do you think they would be insulted if I said that like they really are a very small portion of the market that they think that they're a lot bigger than they are? I think that's, yeah, I think that's a fair assumption. I, I don't think there are a lot of, are as many offset um, fans as there are. That's why this surprises me because you know, I'm not an offset. Fan. I wouldn't buy a Fender Mustang if it was on sale for 50 bucks, but I wouldn't buy cash. one either. I'd buy, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy a jazz thing. Um, but I like this. Um, I just, I've never been a fan of any offsets with the exception of the Gibson uh, Explorers. I don't consider the Explorer an offset. That's a point. Yeah, That's pointy. Yeah, and, and exactly. Some people call it an offset. Some people call it. I, if you're going to talk about offset, you could talk about the uh, Firebird. Yep. Firebird is definitely, and the reverse Firebird. Um, those are the like most uncomfortable freaking guitars. Oh yeah, they don't I, hang very well. It, not just that, but like where the arm con there is no arm contour. Number one, nope. and where it hits you is like right. the worst place for for a guitar player. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand the popularity behind those things. But anyway, um, I so the reason why I say this is because like there's this there's this um mode in music today like look at what companies are doing that's popular and to think that that suddenly means that the entire section segment of the industry is changing and like all of a sudden these offset guitars are the hottest things to slice bread and sgs don't sell well so all of a sudden you know sgs are are the market's 
drop to the floor on right. them. Soft on them. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying this because I have an SG. I bought an SG because they were cheap um, at the time when I bought it. Right. And uh, what my, I guess what my point is that um, if you if you examine what I'm saying and you look at you know these pricing trends and these companies, I mean. Does that mean that all these guitars are ending up, uh, ending up in churches? Because that's the primary motivating factor for like the whole pedal industry right now is P-dubs. Right. L- like it or not, you may not believe me, but that's what it is. When you look at a company like JHS, right? And we've, we've talked about JHS on the show before. I have a kind of a love-hate relationship with that company. Yep. Um, JHS is clearly marketing their pedals in a very like consumer friendly way. And Josh has had some issues with his spirituality and stuff that have been made public. And some people have kind of accused him of hiding behind his Christianity to sell product and and things like this um, over the years. Like there are pedal companies out there that are like, we're Christian. Like, this is what we do. Think, think of a company like creation pedal boards, right? And there's this whole economy behind the pedal board pedal craze thing right now. Mm-hmm. Now I saw an interesting picture the other day and I'd seen this picture years ago, but um, Vernon Reed, right. Sitting right, next yeah. to his, um, his refrigerator racks back in the eighties, like 89, 90. And he's uh, you know, he's like, this is my touring rig. Right. And there's no cabinets. So it's, I mean, this thing is monstrous. It's bigger than he is. And next to him, is no cabinet because they can't fit it in the picture to put it in perspective. So <laughs> that, that that's where I'm going with this. Like we went from a period in the, in the eighties and nineties where people had refrigerator racks. Right. And now we're back to pedal boards because it was convenient for certain players. Yeah. And I'm not saying that they're not a thing of convenience. Um, but I'm, what I am saying is that like, they're not for everybody there. You know, you can, you can still do rack stuff. Like it still exists. Um, and I think for a lot of people that it looks like the means to an end is to get, you know, these giant massive pedal board rigs and like, you know, to basically just amplify the pedals and this whole thing. I I'm not that person. I think, I think guitar into an amp is probably way better. Um, and I, you know, everybody knows I've had my, my love affair with pedals. Like it's came and gone at this point. My, I, I have the, um, the boss angry driver, right. Um, which is, which is a cool pedal. Yeah. If I was to go like and throw that into a power amp and then throw it in a cab, it's not going to sound like an amp. Like, no, no, stop thinking it will. And I see these people buying these amp in a box, pedals yep. not, your pedal aside right because you've got the, the amp one right. um that's a different thing i i've had some of these amp in a box pedals i had the pinnacle i had the the uh j rocket dude and i've had uh um the ethos uh overdrive preamp none of those really sounded like an amp like right through you know a power you know power tubes in a in a cabinet like I just don't understand the craze. I, d- I don't get it. And I think it's because it's modular and it's people have this, this like 
this thing, I have to have my sound, right? Yep. Wink, wink, my sound, which is made up of pedals that everyone else has used already. Yeah. <laughs> so like your sound is really, you know, not Somebody your sound. sound. Or right. if you can't, like you have your own sound, but you don't have any technique. You know, that's the other thing like I've seen a lot of is people that can't actually play the pedals that they have. Again, going back to your original argument at the beginning of this episode, which is that um, it's kind of silly for a beginner to invest a bunch of money in something. Right. Um, but we've, we, we know that people do this. Like there are, there are groups of people on the interwebs. Like um, uh, what's the name of that group? Um, Pedal Boards of Doom. Yeah. All right. Go on Pedal Boards of Doom. Look around for five minutes and you will see a plethora of people that have, you know, $10,000, $20,000 wrapped up in pedals. Yeah. And in some cases, like, they don't really know how to play guitar all that well. Like, so if, they, if you're living behind this, this idea that I have to have all these pedals because, you know, I need my signature sound, you're fooling yourself. Yeah. Like, you don't even know well, the signature basics sound. of how to create your Plus sound. How your signature sound is. Right, right. Um, and I've, you know, seen people commission pedals too, and that's another big one. It's like, go to a private builder and be like, I want my pedal to sound like this. And, yeah. and it's and like, yeah, but, but you don't sound like that. Right. And the other thing is, you don't really know what that sounds like. It, it reminds me of, um, did you see the movie with... Um, uh, Tom Cruise when he he was a race car driver and he says to the guy yeah, he says I don't thunder. know how to right he, he even told him he goes I don't know how to express the terms that it would take for you to do to make the car do what I'm asking you to do he says just give it to me in your own terms I think the problem and I'm not saying everybody does this but the problem that you find with some people is they walk into a guitar store or whatever, and they've been given, whether they were told by somebody else or they read on the internet, that if you did this, you get this. If you if you want metal, you need an Ibanez. If you get, you know, or a Shecker. Yeah, dude. You, yes, yes, yes. And, and so they walk in and they're like, they're like, um, and, and I see it when I'm hanging out in Guitar Center, because I go, I go there quite a bit. And, um, you know, because obviously I like to talk to people that can, can speak the language, so to speak. And I, I sit there and I watch these people who go in and out, um, and they they sit down to grab a to grab a metal guitar. And oh I, yeah! For those of you who don't know, I'm using air any metal guitar, a metal guitar, and yeah. then they sit down, BC Rich, proceed or... to play the one Metallica. No, right? That's usually Metallica. Whether it's Metallica or it's um, Pantera. Uh, that's what I was going to say, or it's got to be Pantera, you know, sort of playing, you know, Marilyn Manson. There was a guy asking about a Marilyn Manson singer guitar. The first thing I think of is not guitar when I think of Marilyn Manson himself. I think of John Five. I think of the people who packed him up. Did you know who I don't think of when I think of guitar? Marilyn, Marilyn Manson. Manson. <laughs> yeah. Neither does Steve Terraberry, apparently. No. So why would you why would you even think that you know and and so I guess my point is here that that um, 
if you go in with a preconceived notion, I don't care what it is you go into. If you have a preconceived notion, then your mind is already made up. There's no yeah. reason for you to try things out. Just yeah, just get it. what you want. Just do it. You know, it's I, like, um, thank you. <laughs> I, you, you know, preconceived notion, right? So my, my, I was driving around this morning. I was like, you know, I was listening to, this, I was listening to a band that was pretty genty, and I'm like, you know, I know that these guys really like the new metal zone, right? So I'm like, I should get the new metal zone. And then I stopped and I thought to myself for a minute, I was like, I could go buy the new metal zone. Sure yeah. could. Yeah. And um, what am I going to do with it? Because I have a Mark V right now. I have a Helix. Yeah. Like, what am I going to run it in front? Of? I, am I going to put it through, you know, because I don't own any classic style tube amps. Like, I, it would be pointless for me to all, even own it. Right. Because I can do those sounds already. But this, is, this goes back to another thing that we're talking about. So the same person, they'll go in, they'll spend, they'll spend um, let's say, seven, eight hundred. I need a pedal to do metal. It says metal on it. They'll buy a metal pedal. It doesn't matter. They'll buy the, the Wazacraft. Metal muff. Zone, yeah. Metal muff and something else. And then they'll walk out with, um, what's that? Uh, a Bugera. Or they'll walk out with a... Or Blues Junior. Uh, well, I'm just saying, no, they won't walk out with a Blues Junior. That's not metal enough. They'll get a PV Viper, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or a Line 6 Spider. And they'll put the... Me- and then they'll go, how come my pedal sounds like shit in front of this, you know, this amp? Because you have a garbage amp. It sounds like shit in front of... Because you can't... You, you put the last ingredient. It's like you sat down and you went to... All these expensive stores, you bought the best pasta, and you bought the best, and then you went out in the backyard and, and emptied a mud puddle into your your <laughs> into your pot and said, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna make all this stuff in a bucket of mud." And it's just I'm just saying. I've got I've got a T-shirt in my hands right now. Yep. I'm gonna point to some things on here if you can see me. Yeah. Point to some things. I'm gonna ask you to say what that is. What is that? That is the speaker. What is that? That's the guitar. What is this? That's the amp. What is this? And those are the pedals. Yeah, finally. That's where it's at in the hierarchy of tone. It's in the second tier, not the first tier, folks. That's right. And there's a reason for that. And that is because um, we we want to make it really clear. Like, yes, pedals do have an impact on your sound. They have more of an impact than your pickups, your strings, your cables. But let's be honest here. Like, do your pedals define you? No, no. Exactly. They don't. There's one thing that's missing from the hierarchy of tone that we should probably have put on there. But that's the person wearing it. The you. Well, that's the person that's in the suit. That's the person that's yeah. wearing the shirt. Yeah, you know, dude. Like, you define your tone. Don't let anybody else do it. Like, don't sit down and say, man, everybody really likes that new Waza Metal Zone. Like, so I have to have one. And that's what I found myself doing today. Yeah. And I'm like, no, what am I thinking? I don't need that. Like, yeah. I... I I have bought a lot of pedals that I've literally just sold like within months because I'm just like, yeah, I need this. And then I have it for a while. And then I'm like, why am I even using pedals? I don't need this. Yeah. I need this. Now I don't need this. (laughs) I never needed it. That's the whole thing. I I convinced myself that I needed it. 
Right. Right. And this is and, this has been uh, the counseling minute with David. <laughs> yeah, but this is it. If if like I said, if you walk in and you have a budget, I I don't work at a guitar shop, but if the first thing and I would probably get I would get the the look of oh you don't know what you're talking about. If if somebody came, oh in, I guarantee you we're gonna get hate mail for this episode. Right. I would get you know I walk in and somebody said to me, oh um, you know I, I'm looking for a metal guitar. And uh, I said, okay, why don't we start out with the amp? Yes. Yes. They go bananas. They go, they go ape shit on me. And, uh, and I'd be like, but this is going to define the, the majority of your sound is going to come from here. This is what you're going to hear. You did not hear it. Yeah. Anymore. This and your speakers, dude, are more important than even the type of pickups you have. For that kind of music, I can play metal, and I also know that Dan Kish, who is like you know the rhythm guitar god of metal that I know, right. um, can can pick up a Stratocaster, plug it into the right amp with the right pedal out front. Like you have to have a boost pedal, yep. and they can go they can go straight to Cannibal Corpse. I mean, it, it, it's it, in metal in in that kind of music, that kind of sound. The quality of your pickups is not as important as the quality of gain and your gain structure and your low end <coughs> that comes out of your amplifier. Absolutely. And your speakers are a huge part of that too. Like if you use greenbacks, you're not going to get those sounds. And anybody who's played a Telecaster can tell you that you can get some low end out of those. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I can do metal on a Tele for sure. Yep. Like, with no, no questions asked. I can do metal on a Strat. No questions right. asked. There are lots of people that have played metal on strats, and I'm not talking about strats with a humbucker in the bridge either. That's right. Um, it doesn't have to be Dave Murray. Yeah. Um, I mean, look at Ingve. He's made a career out of playing shred on a strat. Yeah. And he plays some pretty, you know, heavy metalish stuff. And and effectively, the '80s um, was full of people playing quote unquote super strats that um we're playing metal on the really funny part jim so we're talking about metal on strats like yep. you do know that that um just well you obviously know this right this is big shock for our listeners right just because a player says that they endorse a specific guitar doesn't mean they aren't playing different things on records That's okay right. and we've talked example, about slash played tellies and strats on the uh, user illusion albums in different yeah. places to give up Mr. Les Paul. Now, if you, yeah, well, isn't he the, uh, the king of Les Paul or the, the crown prince of Les Paul? Yeah, he is. Uh, I think Les Paul himself probably owns the king of that title, but. <laughs> well, I just mean that he's, he's like the, some knighted corpse or something. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if, if there was like, if like Les Paul could knight somebody posthumously, cause he's obviously passed, but, um, yeah, I he's probably in the running. Him and Joe Bonamassa might have to fight, you know, to see who wins. But well, yeah, Bonamassa, there's a guy you cannot lock him down to a single guitar. You oh, okay. Now, I was just gonna say Bonamassa is funny because, like, you're like, oh, Les Pauls, Les Pauls. But then you stop and you think for a minute. And you're like, wait a minute. He's had oh, like man. one signature Les Paul and like 20 other signature Epiphones. Yep. It's hilarious how many signatures that guy's had. 
And he's had, yeah, he's had several. Um, it's like, what guitar did he play last night? Let's make one. And right, right. And that's, <laughs> and that's the thing. If, if, so, if he plays one, they want to make a signature. It's funny that Fender's never stepped up because he has as much Fender as he does Gibson. That's a guy you could not lock down and say, okay, he only likes. There's a reason for that. Fender, or he only likes Gibson. Because he's taking money from <laughs> Gibson. And well, he ain't yeah. taking money from Fender because he has an exclusivity agreement. That's probably, so, oh, I'm sure that's, that's 100%. No, yeah, and, and that's why you will never see Gibson market Joe Bonamassa with a Strat. Right. <laughs> because mean, he does play Strats a lot. <laughs> oh, yes. And he does play Tellies a lot. And yeah. he does play, um, uh, you know, he, he plays Explorers and he plays Les Pauls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He plays everything. So you can't, uh, what I was just saying is you can't lock the guy down any. Oh, and yeah, no, for sure, for sure. But I'm just saying, like, if you're going to say Crown Prince of Les Paul, like, he's the other guy that comes to mind to me. Well, I think I think they call him uh, Slash the Ambassador. I think that's what they call him. He's, he's yeah, officially titled Ambassador of Gibson Guitars. Which um, is h- hilarious because – Yeah, because they were – Like, his, main, his, big, his big Les Paul from Appetite for Destruction was a knockoff. Was a knockoff. <laughs> and, and, and Gibson has spent years trying to replicate it. Yeah, but, yeah. It was it was a knockoff and it was also stolen. Yeah. And then and then the top hat is also stolen. And then the JCM eight hundred that he used for appetite. Um also which stolen. a lot of people thought was a silver jubilee, but actually it was an eight hundred on that record, was stolen. Well, <laughs> well he, he tried to steal it. <laughs> right. What happened was you know who ended up with that, right? Who? Um Mr. Scary. Oh yeah. Cause what happened was he um he liked it so much, he wanted to keep it, and they wouldn't sell it to him. So he said, okay, I lost it. <laughs> yeah, and so then, that thing was owned by a bunch of people. Like Steve Luclather had it for a while. Yep. Luclather, I can never see his damn name. Yeah, I always add an L in there. Um, Steve Luclather, and then uh, who's the other guy? Uh, George Lynch had it. And I think George Lynch actually owns it now, which there's a little tight-lipped about that, like because Slash says he doesn't know what happened to it. Right, I was but George Lynch say, says I have it. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I think George Lynch is trying to get Strat or uh, Slash to buy it from. But anyway, at least that was the thing two years ago. Oh, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, so I'll sell it to you for you know seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and Slash could pay it. They yeah, and not care. <laughs> he, would, he would not even bat night. He was probably making a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars a show at that on guy, that last tour. The guy. Um, was pulling in, um, of course, I'm sure he was spending it just about as fast, but he, they were talking about how he was pulling in close to a million dollars a month or some ridiculous thing when Appetite was, for Destruction was huge. So, uh, yeah, and that's funny because that wasn't even their peak. No. When Use Your Illusion came out, that was when they were making the money. Yep. And, and it's funny because they, they talked about how, um, I, I don't remember what year it was. This was a few years ago, but I had read that they were still making millions of years on Appetite. Oh yeah, yeah. No, yes, they are. That's yeah. what has allowed uh, things like Chinese democracy to happen. Yeah, because that—that's a bucket of shit. But anyway, I love that record. I don't care what anybody is. says. Yeah. yeah, that record's great. There's some Pink Floyd esque solos on there, man. There is some. That's what I was just gonna say. There's some really good solos on it. I'm just not crazy about. It. You gotta remember, uh, what I love about it is not Guns and Roses. What I love about it. On, on uh, that album, Chinese Democracy, are the people that were never in Guns N' Roses. Well, they were in it for a short time. 
Okay, so let me ask you, who do you think is on the record? Because I can tell you who's actually on there. Well, Bumblefoot's on there. Yes, he is. Richard, Richard Fortas is on there as well. Yeah. And uh, isn't um, – oh, what's his name? Uh, isn't um, Buckethead on there? No. Oh, he's not. Bumblefoot what? played all of his parts. Really? Yes. Anything that was written by Buckethead was redone by, Bum- by Bumblefoot. Really? Ron Thal, yeah. Yeah, Ron Thal. Because Ron Thal, that guy's the real OG. He is one of the greatest guitar players I've ever heard in my life. That man can make anything happen with a guitar. Like, he, he could summon first... up dragons and all that kind uh, of stuff. He was the first guy I ever saw bring, um, bring a, uh, a fretless guitar to life. The way he... And he uses it. Yes. Like, it's all over that record. Yep. And he's using it to get like perfectly intonated chords and stuff because the guy's got perfect pitch and you can tell. Um, But, but what's impressive to me is so like, that's one thing, right? Doubling Buckethead's mortal. Like people can do Buckethead stuff. I've met guys that can do some of his songs. Um, The one, the one that that impressed the hell out of me though, was the fact that um, you've got a drummer you know, the, in, in that guy brain that like literally charted out all the demoed drums and then played them note for note. And then, and then apparently was told by both the producer and Axel that that's not what they wanted. Like play the charts, but play them like you would. (laughs) It's like, wait a minute. What? Like, wait a minute. What did you just say? Like, (laughs) But but Brian May contributed to that record as well. Yeah, yeah, I heard He's that. not that, on the record, but yeah. he helped write that song. Yep. And you can tell because, like, they obviously just recorded over his guitar parts. Yep. But I, uh, I, I had heard about that today. Believe it or not, on the Joe Rogan experience, I heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Joe Rogan, I heard that. So yeah, no, no, but, but but I guess if you haven't listened to that record. I know people like poo-poo because it's not real Guns N' Roses. Look, there is no real Guns N' Roses. Let's let's be completely honest. That band had tons of lineup changes in two albums. Like, if if there was a real Guns N' Roses, it would be Axel and Slash pretty much. Right. And to Uh, me, that is Guns N' Roses. Yeah. Again, I don't want to take away from Bumblefoot and and the outstanding, like I said, the outstanding guitar work on that album. I'm just saying that for me, it wasn't. The- I don't think it's a Guns N' Roses album, but I think yeah. it's an achievement. It is, and and that's why I was like, dude, I I can remember hearing the the because uh, I watched that album. I waited for that album like ten years, ten plus right. years, right? The entire time it had been announced, and like they worked on it, and they did because apparently they actually re-recorded all of Appetite for Destruction as part of that, like that time period. Right. Right. And that's all sitting somewhere in some archive. Um, There were allegedly like a hundred songs that, that missed the album Um, that there were like seven albums worth of material and none of it's ever going to see the light of day Um, that he basically pulled a Peter Gabriel and then like pick like the nine best songs he liked and worked out three more. And then, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so um, it has a lot to do with the journey that Axl Rose went on. Um, because you have to understand, so like that dude has a lot of emotional problems, like to the point where 
I mean, if you've seen that Motley Crue movie, The Dirt, first off, it's a yes. terrible movie. Second off, um, I enjoyed it. You can enjoy it, but it's not reality. Oh no! And it was not meant to be a documentary. No, but I get I get the feeling that the fans want it to be, and that like many of them are like, "Oh, this is just how it was." There were so many fourth wall breaks and and yeah. Well, the fact time, that they had the band actually narrating through the movie, right? Timing consistencies, um, gear that didn't exist. I mean, well, I thought that those are minor things. I'm just right. talking about like the fact that they made it seem like everything was an effing party. People Those guys were making money. Oh Not God. everything was an effing party. Oh, like were making jack. They were making so much money they didn't know what to do with it. Well that's why I'm saying like they don't they don't make out like they're they were good business people. But then they've got him like kind of arguing with them like I want my masters and stuff. Like there's there's no moment in that movie where where Tommy Lee was a complete idiot. Like no, it, you know, it's funny because um, you watch it and uh, that that move that um, uh, that was a bass player, right? Nikki Six. Yeah. So that move Nikki Six did, where he said, "Yeah, we'll leave, but we're taking. We, I want our masters. So much. We owe you so much money. No, just give me the masters." That was the best move. That was the best business decision. Yeah. This, well, that's my point. And they make out like, "Oh, it was just done because he's pissed off or whatever." Yeah, no, to this day, he even said um, in a post interview, he was like, no, that was a, that was a big business decision. Yeah, but, I, I, but the part of him sleeping with the dude's, the, the um, yeah. lead singer sleeping with the dude's wife, that was real. No, him. and I'm sure those things are real. Um, I forget where I was going with this, but my point is like, you couldn't make an Axl Rose story because I don't think anybody understands really what's wrong with that dude. Really, oh, yeah to do is read that that interview he did with Rolling Stone. Like I get the feeling the Axel Rose or an Axel Rose story would be boring. I Hollywood wise. Because Oh sure. Because you, you'd have Axel to cast Rose. Joaquin Phoenix to play him or something because you need somebody who's like really cerebral. Yeah, he'd have to be really yeah in his head the whole time because there's nothing on it. It would be like I think if you cast a Buckethead movie. It would yeah. be like, okay, I'm home playing video games okay you know, now i'm watching television okay he's, he's howard hughes for the music industry right that's what he is i mean because like you gotta I, you gotta put yourself in the shoes of somebody who's basically been been abused his whole life right yep. and then finally gets to a point where he has some control or power over the industry and usurps the only thing that had him with any popularity and in the process damaged the only personal relationships he had that were worth anything to him and these people on top of that uh, destroyed his his personality when they left. So that record is very much about, you know, Slash and the other guys in the band that split up with him, basically telling him, you don't know how to write music anyway. Right. Like, you're a disaster. Like, I don't know how you've gotten as far as you have. And he it damaged his ability to actually write music, like write yeah. lyrics and sing and stuff. Yeah, and so absolutely. he was extremely self-conscious. And it comes out on that record because uh -huh. you realize, like, the amount of detail – that went into just like stupid stuff, like making sure that he had perfect intonation in this one part Yeah. where, you know, it doesn't even sound natural to the ear. You're like, how did he even do that? Cause it's not pitch corrected. Like oh. when you listen to it, you're like, that's not pitch correction. Like he must've done that like 200 times, you know, right. and just to get the get it the right way. Just to get it right. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of stories about that. You know, when people when people go see um, live music, they're like, "Oh man, it's nothing like record." 
Well, that's because they can't go through 200 times. You know, and they're not using a seven thousand dollar microphone, and they right. they don't have a forty five thousand dollar console in front of them, or you know, exactly. And, and um, it just makes me laugh because um, there's that story about uh, Iron Maiden six 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 number of the beast. One of my right. favorite, not only one of my favorite albums, one of my favorite songs is Number of the Beast. And when um, the scream, that guttural primal scream, yeah, yeah. that uh, Dickinson delivers, in and that basically song, does every every time live now. He and so he's in the studio, right? And he's like, ah! And then the guy goes, no, that's not it. Ah! And that's not. It. He was screaming and screaming and screaming. Finally, it was out of this pure anger at the dude, the, the producer. It was like, you know, like it was an F you kind of scream. Yeah. He was like, that's it. That's what we want. Yeah. And you can hear it in the take. I mean. Yeah. Um, so I guess my my point with, with this whole discussion is that, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. Like I, that's a record that I think anybody listening to the show would enjoy. Right. Um, Chinese democracy. Yep. I, I, when I heard it the first time and like, I listened through it, I kind of, I kind of stopped myself and I went, this should be one of the most important guitar records of the last 20 years. Oh. And I know people are going to poo poo me and say, you know, there's so much, I mean, like there's animals leaders and all this other stuff that's going on right now. Uh, But look, look, just for straight up rock and roll guitar in a very, like, I want to say esoteric way. I mean, they're, they're, they're reaching for Pink Floyd. They're reaching for the early guns and roses stuff. They're reaching for all of the great eighties metal. They're reaching for, you know, Def Leppard and all that, you know, grandiose like stadium rock but they're trying to do it in a way that's very like grunge which is what's funny because the the reviews for the album are kind of true which is that if the album had come out in the mid 90s like it would have been a trendsetter like it would have been the the you know beginning of a new era for them but because it took them 13 years to get it out you know it ended up being kind of a joke yep I I don't think it sounded dated when it came out personally, but I know others are like, yeah, but that had already been done, you know. So, yeah, I I can say this when it comes to when it comes to um, Guns N' Roses for me, the the penultimate album that I enjoyed was definitely Appetite for Destruction. I I liked, um, you know, the the Chinese they're not Chinese democracy, but the um, uh, Use Your Illusion and Use yeah. Your Illusion 2, which I think originally, didn't they release them separately? No, they came out at the same time, but they were they were supposed to be a double album, but they released them that's separately. Right. They separate, yeah, that's right. They came out at the same time, but they released them on two different albums. Yeah, but they were supposed they were originally going to be a double album. Yeah. And all I remember was having to go buy two of them. And it's like, um, and, and of course, there was always this, oh, which one is better, the blue one or red one? Right, they were blue and red. Yeah, the the red one is Use Your Illusion One. The blue one is Use Your Illusion Two, and Use Your Illusion Two is definitely the better of the two. Yeah, same thing. That and I can't tell why Don't Cry is on both records because when you listen to it, like they said that there's different mixes, I can't tell them apart. (laughs) So, for me, you know, the uh, 
they they kind of peaked for me right in the beginning. They peaked for me when they came out, and then, and then it was done. Does it? I love the. I love the. I think um, Use Your Illusion records were the best. I think Spaghetti Incident was stupid. That was yeah. a. So that was a band, like, if you watch the Behind the Music, basically what happened was, like, they came out with Appetite for Destruction, which was obviously, like, the greatest hard rock record ever made. And it sold more than any hard rock record ever. And it's and still quickly, selling more than any hard rock record. They quickly re-released that album that they had put out when they were unsigned or whatever. Yeah. Oh, no, you're talking about Lies. Lies. So, so Lies is a funny thing. Lies was an EP that they put together after, but they pretended like it was a live album, a half live album and a half studio right, album that they right. released from before they were famous. From before, exactly. Even though that yeah. was complete bullshit. It was complete fabrication. Um, so, and, and actually there's some good songs there, like Patience. Oh, yeah, um, Patience. That's what it comes to mind. Um, I love that. I love the, uh, the bridge. Used to love her, but, now I, uh, but I had to kill her. Yeah. Well, that's a cover, isn't it? Used to love her. Yeah, yeah, I think that is a cover. But that was my favorite song on there. Yeah. Um, I always thought the production on that was weird because it was like an acoustic guitar and electric guitar, which is yep. super strange. Um, and then, uh, so that record's one thing. Like, and then they did uh, the Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, and then they did Spaghetti Incident, which, which is a joke. And then they did the one song on the End of Days soundtrack, which was also a joke. Oh, uh, the the cover you're talking about? Uh, yeah, band, uh, not band on the run. Um, the other, the other. No, so I think they did two songs on the on that soundtrack because they did oh. an original tune that that was famously uh, that that Axel recorded over Slash's guitar solo on the track with uh, his buddy. Yeah. He had his friend come in and play on it, and he and he recorded over. Yeah, that didn't go. What was the cover they did? Was it? Um, um, I know they did a cover of uh, "Sympathy for the Devil." Sympathy for the Devil. That's what I was going to say. The Rolling Stones song. But they also did a cover of um, uh, "Wings" song, right? Yeah, but that was on "Use Your Illusion." Uh, not "Band on the Run." Um, it was um, the one that "Live and Let the, Die." "Live and Let Die." That's but that was on "Use Your Illusion." That's right. That's right. So. But did they also cover one? Did they cover um, "Knocking on Heaven's Door"? That's it, "Knocking on Heaven's Door." And they've had covers like throughout their career because they they did that whole record of covers, the Spaghetti Incident, which yep. is a joke. Um, I don't know. There's certain songs that are okay, but like I nobody. It's the same thing. Metallica did "Garage Inc." Last oh. thing I want to do is hear Metallica play Misfits songs. You know like, what the fuck. I didn't particularly care for what Metallica covered the the Misfits, but I kind of I dug, and I and I'm a fan of the original. But when they when they did um, Bob uh, Seger, I don't like Bob Seger. So I liked the original, but I loved the cover, and I loved their cover of um, Thin Lizzy's cover <laughs> of Whiskey in the Jar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. It just like if Iron Maiden came out with a cover record where they were doing like Deep Purple tunes and stuff, like I'd probably be really into it. Yeah, that would probably. Be There's just something about like me not needing a cover record from Metallica, and definitely not needing a cover record from from uh, Guns N' Roses. Well, I, let me just say that that when Garbage Band Inc. 
was better than just about anything they put out again for another 12, 15 years. So yeah, yeah. Uh, until like Death Magnetic or whatever. I was gonna say the new one. Uh, well, the there's new... there've been a couple of them since Death Magnetic. Uh, what's the brand new one? Uh, I don't remember. That's you know that's the only one that uh, Death Magnetic was. They're super overproduced now, though. That's the dude. Problem. Like when you listen to it and you hear pitch correction on Hatfield, you're just like, what the. F-? Like, yeah. what is this? Yeah. And then uh, the time aligned stuff from uh, what's his face? Uh, the Swede. <laughs> yeah. Because he's a terrible drummer anyway. Yeah. I was going to say, Lars. Like, if you go back and you listen to like Ride the Lightning or any of the other earlier records, like, he's awful. He's one of the worst drummers in metal music. Like, so I don't know how he has gotten away with what he's gotten away with. You know how we talked about the police and um, uh, Copeland, the drumming Copeland. Yeah. So I was watching a a uh, recording from like 1984, or 1986, somewhere. Uh-huh. And I almost pissed my pants laughing because Copeland is sitting there when uh, when Sting is trying to sing a fighting, he just go. <laughs> yeah, dude. Right yep. over his vocal, like. Yep. <laughs> and he's doing it on purpose. Yep. <laughs> Because because that was about like so that would have been about the time that uh, Synchronicity two came out and nobody was getting along like they were fist fighting and everything else backstage. Oh yeah, and and, and, and I was like, I am so glad I didn't see them live during that time. Sting was dressed like he came out of a fashion. Yeah, he looked like uh, like uh, um, Tina Turner in uh, Thunderdome. Yep, and, <laughs> and uh, uh, Andy Summer had keyboards in front of him and uh, synthesizers, and uh, so they had. You know, they had Copeland, but I was like, oh, this is terrible. I, I actually enjoyed some of the videos from their uh, – I, I wish I had caught them during the last time. Because you know they're never going to tour. I did. I saw them. I spent did a you? lot of money to go to that show. That, that would have been awesome. I wish I had caught them during that. It was good. Um, But you know what? A lot of the same escapades were going on. Like, yeah. because Copeland didn't want to be there. He wanted to well, get the money so that they could donate it to charity, but he didn't want to be there. Yeah, you could tell that um, Andy Summers was trying to keep the peace the whole time. That poor guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, Because um, Sting was playing. What I did love is Sting's got that old, old uh, precision bass that he plays. The uh, same one since the beginning. Yep, that, that same old. That thing looks like it's been filmed. He was playing Steinbrenners. Steinbrenners. And, it was? Um, Sting. Yeah, he did yeah, that he, for a tour. Yeah, he did that for that tour that I was talking about, where he was dressed as Tina Turner. Yeah, um, and the um, we needed another hero. But I'll tell you, yeah, <laughs> I need a hero. Well, that was no, we don't um, need another hero. You know, no, I was going with uh, Bonnie Taylor. Yeah, I know. I'm like, what the hell? We need a hero. Got a hero. No, um, not in Beyond Thunderdome. Then, then they had um, uh, what was it? Um, when, when I saw them, uh, when I saw the videos, what I what I enjoyed was the old stuff. I mean, I saw them when it was lo- like a long time ago, right? Yeah, yeah. And they were big, but not huge. Um, I think, but but I was watching him play "Message in a Bottle," right? And yeah. he played it more difficultly now, if that's a word, with yeah. more difficulty now than he did back then. <laughs> and I was like, yep. "Why would you choose?" To play that chord because the second fret, or you can play it at the seventh fret. Why are you doing Because he 
can, Jim. I, I wanted to slap him upside the head. So I had to walk up on the stage and go, stop it. Stop. He's one of the few people that like can pull off that ninth thing and do it all night long because it's in almost every police song. I mean, Message in a Bottle, yep. ninths that are in that are just the same as the ninths that are in um, Every Breath You Take. Yeah, Every Breath You Take. That was what I was thinking of. And uh, Synchronicity, Synchronicity and like all of those different songs. Murder by Numbers has ninths and sevenths all over it. Like oh, yeah. doing the same voicings in every one of those songs. What was their first really fast like ska tune that uh, or um, reggae tune they did? Where um, it was like I don't know, but even like Walking on the Moon and stuff like that. Yeah, it. Walking on the Moon. Um, it's a good um, one. I, it's just the police were. Uh, I'm gonna have to get all my police records out now. I know. Me too. Thanks, Jim. I know. I, I'm gonna have to take out my police because co- I have all the. Uh, I have them all in like a little collection thing. Yeah. And uh, remixed CDs and stuff, and you know the the greatest album art of all time, and I know people are gonna poo poo me on this, but Ghost in the Machine. Oh, yeah. The digital clock thing. Yeah. 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 That, I, I just I love part. their stuff. Every um, little thing she does with magic is on there. Yep. Oh man, I love that. Have you seen the acu- Have you seen Sting do the acoustic cover of that? Yes. He'll bring you to tears. <laughs> it just it brings me to tears to watch Andy Summer play guitar. Yeah, no, that that's because you're driven to tears. Um, <laughs> Which is another police song. I know. It's just insane. Uh, anyway, so we're going to stop talking about the police. We're going to wrap this episode up. I have been David. I have been Jim. Look for the contest results this evening, tomorrow morning, somewhere in there. Yes. Yes, because this episode's probably not going to release till the morning. So, That's yeah. Right. Um, if you haven't seen them yet, check the group. They're, they're probably in there already. So, take it easy, guys. Good night. Good night. Good night.